This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, well, if, if you don't know me uh, yet, my name is Stephen McCaslin, and I'm the student minister here at Austin Life Church. Corey is away, uh, our lead pastor, he is away preparing to uh, lead a wedding for two of our members today that some of us may be going to and are very excited for that. And I'm, I'm so, uh, what's the word, not privileged, I'm so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be able to share, uh, share God's word with y'all this morning. It, but before I do that, I want to do something that if you know me, I like taking every opportunity I can is, is I want to brag a little bit on my dog. You may be thinking I'm going to say my wife or my daughter, but I want to brag a little bit on my pup. If you can throw the picture up, this is Sophie. Um, if you know anything about me, I am huge into the outdoors. I love bird hunting, fly fishing, hiking. I'm not much of a camper like we've done it. I like sleeping comfortably, right? I don't mind missing sleep to be outside all night long, but you want me to sleep like in a cold tent, I'm out. Like that's not really my thing, but I'm, but I'm super in to hunting. And this is Sophie, my German short hair pointer. See, the cool thing about her is she is a, an every upland bird's nightmare. Uh, so, so pointers, whenever they work in the field, you're good with the picture if you want to bring that down. Uh, they, they can smell super well and they can find the birds hiding in the grass. She finds them and she'll like stare at it. So I know oh, there's a bird here and, and we can, we can, uh, we're able to get that bird, right? Uh, so like, I had the privilege of working with a hunting outfit while I lived in the panhandle as well as hunting with just a lot of friends, some of which uh, the Morris family here from Muleshoe way up in the panhandle joined us this weekend. And yeah, they, they, like Kevin and Drew are some of my like biggest hunting buddies when I go up there. I love getting the opportunity to hunt with them. But like people, whenever they saw Sophie work, they were like, how did you train her to do this? This is nothing on me. She is seriously, all of your dogs are not the best dog in the world because mine is, she is so good. Also, I never said it, hate all our people. A lot of you who are watching at home are gonna listen to the podcast. Glad you're here. Um, but Sophie truly is amazing. And people are like, how did you teach her to do that? And the cool thing about dogs is a lot of it's really, it's in their blood. I mean, you'll see like whenever they're puppies, the, the short hair pointers will like point butterflies, like as they come and land in the grass while they're just like a few days old because they just know like, oh, that's something with wings. I'm supposed to, supposed to look at it. But in reality, to train her, when people ask that, I say, I, I train my dog how you train yours. Mike, y'all, the Mobleys, y'all just got a pup. Let me ask you this. What was the first thing you taught your dog? Like, what was the first command? Not its name or something like that. What was the first command? No. <laughs> no, maybe. I like that one. That's the one. Say that one out loud. Sit. In reality, like, that's the first command that if you own a dog and you haven't done this, I'm not saying you're a bad dog mom or dad, but, like, that's the first command that you really want to teach your dog because it both literally and, like, metaphorically grounds them. So, right, like if, if you teach them to fetch, then they'll come back with the ball or with the Frisbee and they'll drop it, but they won't, won't know what to do and they'll frantically run away. Or let's say you're outside at the park and a car's coming and your dog begins to chase them. If they know sit well and you can shout sit and they will stop in their tracks, you're gonna protect them. If you have maybe an elderly or an injured or someone who just doesn't like dogs, guests come to your home and your pup runs up just because it wants to give them a big old kiss on the cheek. If you teach them sit, you tell them to sit, then you will keep the person coming to your house safe. See, the first lesson that you teach your pup is vital. 
If you teach them young to sit, then they will be set for a trajectory of success as a dog. But if you don't teach them that first command, you can be dealing with a lot of heartache. See, I have another hunting dog, but I didn't get him till six months and his first living situation wasn't the best for a high energy dog. So it was really hard to train him to be a good house pup. I don't want to compare everyone in this room to a dog, but, but in the same way, the first lesson that Jesus teaches us and that he teaches his disciples is so vital for us in our trajectory to being a good Christ follower. Abby's going to go ahead and come up and she's going to read the scripture for us. We're in Mark 3. We're going to be in Mark for a little while now. If you show up at Austin Life Church, then for the next year, other than a few weeks, just go ahead and flip to the book of Mark and you're probably gonna be where we are. But once again, as I said during our meditation time, Corey talked last week on how Jesus calls his disciples from the crowd and that they follow him. And we talked about the cost of discipleship as surrender. And the true mark of a follower of Jesus is one that surrenders to him. And we're gonna continue that sort of theme today. So Abby, if you'll read, and if at home y'all can read along with Mark chapter three, Verses 20 through 35. Hello? Okay. Oh, it's on. Okay. So starting in verse 20, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, he, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. I want to take this moment just to give an appreciation to my student team, both Abby and Griffin, and then my wife, Sarah, as well. Seriously, like y'all don't get to see the things they do, but I couldn't ask for, for better leaders to be able to, to, to take charge and lead student ministry. So since you're here, Abby, thank you so much. And I don't think I saw Griffin today. I think he's out. Um, but, but they are amazing and they are super helpful uh, to me in ministering to the students of our church. Um, this text has a lot. <laughs> we, were, we were talking as a staff and you could easily write, get like eight sermons out of this. But for the purpose of making it through Mark so that we're not finishing year 2030 still going through the book of Mark, we're gonna go ahead and, and the, in reality, this is all has one big theme. But I wanna take just a moment and, it, and, and it's, it's gonna be just a brief moment because there's so much. And here in a second, we're gonna clear the water on some verses that may be confusing. But first, let's go to the Lord um, in prayer. 
God, your, your scripture is all we need. Your spirit is all we need. So God, I just pray that as we read your scripture and we talk about it together this morning, that your spirit enlighten us. Show us the truth um, of, what, of what you want to teach us from your text this morning because your way is better than any way that I could get up here and do, God. So just show us the beauty of your scripture. Amen. So verses 28 through 30, right? I, I, before we get into like the, the power of our text, I wanna spend just a moment clarifying these verses because they're, they're one that can be confusing to us. That's, if you wanna read along again, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? The gospel, what we've been taught and what is true, right, is that, that God came and died for us all and whoever believes and confesses will not die but will have eternal life through him. So when we read this text, we might get really confused and some of us might even get worried like, oh crud, what if, what if I've done that? Like what, what, if, what if I said something that was blasphemy against the spirit? Like, should I just give up? Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm doomed to eternal damnation and hell anyway, so I might as well, like, it, I'm so worried it could cause stress. But I want us to look at the context of what happened. See, just beforehand, the scribes were, were looking at the work of the spirit. They were seeing people healed. They were seeing people forgiven of sins, and because of the hardness of the heart, because of their tradition, and because of their religion, both of which things aren't bad things, but because they were so set on that instead of set on God, their heart was hardened to the ministry of the Spirit. And as it says at the end of verse 30, uh, it says, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. There are other scriptures that kind of talk about this and give us a little bit of an understanding. And one is Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 17. And what this is doing is it's referencing, referencing to Genesis chapter 25. And see, in Genesis chapter 25, we have uh, the story of Esau and Jacob. And in lightning speed, the story of Esau and Jacob, it's two brothers, right? Esau, the older brother, deserved his father's birthright. And then the other brother, Jacob, didn't. That's kind of how life worked back then. And, and we, have, we have Jacob who, with a pot of stew, tricks his hungry brother into giving him his birthright. His brother's so hungry, he's like, fine, whatever it takes to get some food, I'll do it. And then when their father is on his deathbed, he's blind, he can't hear well, he is, he is and very, like, he, he is very physically broken down. Jacob comes to him and, and his mother who works alongside with him, they change his clothes. They put some goat skin on him because Esau is a very hairy man. So they literally like tape <laughs> like goat skin to his arms so that it feels like Esau's hairy body. And, and, and their father gives Jacob the blessing. And then Esau comes into the room and it's like, okay, father, you're about to die. It's time for my blessing. And he says, wait, I thought I've already given it to you. And then they have this moment where Esau's like, oh my gosh, I, I told my brother he could have that and, and, and he took it. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, it references back to this story. And in verse 17, it says this, for you know that afterward, whenever he, Esau, desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it 
with tears. See, this text is talking about what Jesus is warning to the scribes here. See, Esau, another, another translation for uh, he sought or he found no chance would be he found no place. See, Esau was digging in every nook and cranny of his heart, trying to repent, trying to feel bad, trying to turn around and change his ways. And even though he was crying because he was so overwhelmed with what he had done wrong, he physically, emotionally, spiritually could not repent of his ways. See, Jesus here in Mark is warning the scribes. He's saying, he's saying the, etern- the eternal sin is whenever your heart is so hardened to the work of the Spirit that you would rather say it's Satan doing that work because I can't, I can't repent and I can't follow Christ because of something that is stopping me. So if you, read, if you heard this verse, or these couple verses, and you were worried, and you're like, oh, man, have I done that? Do I just need to give up, or do I need to like, do extra things to meet some sort of God's standard? What, what, what Scripture and what Jesus is teaching here isn't that there is a thing that you can do, but instead, um, it, is, it is a hardness of the heart. So the unforgivable sin is not because of God's unwillingness to forgive but because of one's unwillingness to surrender. Once again, the unforgivable sin is not because of God saying, ah, I can't forgive you because of some action you've done, but it's because of, the, uh, in, maybe in your heart, maybe in my heart, but because of one's unwillingness to say, you know what, God, like you healing people on the Sabbath goes against what I'm thinking, but, but I trust you because your spirit clearly is moving here. Or you know what, I did tell my brother he could have this birthright, so I'm, I'm just gonna repent and I'm gonna turn to you. It's a hardness of our heart. And we must have a willingness to surrender, and that's where this text is gonna take us. So to our, to our lesson today, there's a phrase that Corey taught me about this. And, and, and this, this, this scripture here, this section, is called a sandwich text. And what that is is there's a part on the bottom that seems to be one story, then there's a part in the middle that seems to be something different, and then a part at the bottom that goes back to the top. Now, since our friends were in town, we took them to our favorite Austin restaurant, Gordo's, last night. Mike was like, that's a terrible idea before you go stand up on a stage and preach, but listen, it was worth it. We love us some Gordo's. So I want you to think in a Gordo's sandwich, right? If this is a sandwich text, you've got your donut on the top, and then you've got your burger in the middle, and then you've got your donut on the bottom. So to start out this morning, we're gonna look at the donuts of our text <laughs> together. So starting at verse 20 and 21, and then again in 30 through 35, we have a story of, of, of Jesus's family being confused and, and, and calling him to do something other than what he's being led to do. The first thing in verse 20, when it says, uh, or Hebrew 20 through 21, says this, then he went home and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. The first thing that we notice here is the persistency of the crowds. And we've talked about this the whole time we've been going through Mark. And as we go throughout continually through Mark, you will see there are always crowds surrounding Jesus. Whether it's exciting, wanted to see him heal somebody, or angry, wanting to see him crucified, Jesus' fame and crowds surrounding him is consistent throughout the text of Mark. But the one thing I really, or the two things I really want to see through this text is first a specification of pronouns. Beginning of verse 20 says, then he went home. And the end says, so that they could not even eat. 
Beginning it says that he went home. Last says that they could not even eat. I don't know about you guys, but I, my, my, myself, I'm like a five-year-old iPhone, right? Like in, in my glory days, you could charge me for 45 minutes and I would last two or three days, right? But by year five, whether it's because I overcharged the lithium battery because Apple goes into the hardware and ruins your phone, so you buy a new one, whatever the reason is, right? Now it takes about three or four hours to charge me and then you're lucky to get about three or four hours worth of use before you've got to charge me again. And I don't know if you guys are like that. I'm extremely extroverted, but like when that time's up, the time's up, right? So, so honestly, and I, I think I may have talked with some people about this a, a few weeks ago, how I felt convicted of it. Whenever we have our church gathering and it's over, I wanna go home and sit and do nothing. Or like I wanna go and like get some torchy tacos and go home and sit and do nothing. But see, when Jesus, he, he had a crowd that was following him and then he calls his disciples. And where I would have gone home and recharged, instead it was understood that whenever he, Jesus, went home, they, his disciples, went with him. See, Jesus is starting off his ministry. Like we said, the first lesson is important. Although he is not standing and teaching this, he is starting with a ministry of surrender because Jesus gives up personal time for the purpose of furthering the kingdom. And shortly afterwards, it says that so they could not even eat. That's something that's hard for me to give up. Like I said, if I go to Gordo's, you know I like food. Like I, I eat the unhealthy stuff and I eat it in large volumes. But Jesus, for the purpose of the furthering of the kingdom, it says that when the crowd gathered, right, this crowd that was literally just there, I imagine it was an interesting scene, like Jesus calls 12 and then they kind of have a huddle and then he's like, all right, we're gonna go have dinner break and they start walking away and the crowd's not satisfied with that. They're like, wait a second, I thought, I thought we were gonna see some people heal in this meeting. So like, they kind of like go ahead of, of the town on the way back while Jesus is on his way home and they cut him off. And instead of Jesus going, you know what, I, it's, it's dinner time. He looks at the crowd with compassion. He goes, okay, let's do this thing. And Jesus sacrifices a meal so he sacrifices alone time and he sacrifices a meal for the purpose of the kingdom. And in verse 21, this is where the family uh, issues start to arise. See, we, we, have, we have a story of whenever Jesus was a child, the whole town goes to the temple and then on their way home back to town, his parents, by the time they're almost home, they look around, they go, we've lost him. Like we lost our son, where's Jesus? And they grow back to the temple and Jesus gives them a bit of scriptural sass, I like to call it. And whenever he sees them, they're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? We were worried sick. He goes like, didn't you know I'd be my, in my father's house? Like, like, I'm here learning. Why are you worried about me? This is what I do. So I'm sure whenever his mom goes out looking for him, she's like, she's ready for the sass. I don't think she's expecting to be able to walk in and Jesus be like, you know what? You're right. I'll quit. I'll quit, you know, doing what God's calling me to do, mom. I'll listen. I'm sure she's prepared for that sass. But the end of verse 21 says something that's interesting. It says that they thought he was out of his mind. Now for our time's sake this morning, I don't, I don't wanna go through these in full, but if you wanna go ahead and put up those six things, it wasn't unrealistic for his family to think he was crazy. And if you're interested, these I got from the Enduring Word commentary. So if you wanna go like do some more research on this, you can put that little footnote in your notes and you can go check it out. But there's a handful of reasons, right? That they could have been like, Jesus is crazy. First, he left a really prosperous business. Like I'm a preacher. 
You know, there were people plotting to kill him and he wouldn't back down. Uh, He showed a spiritual power that he had never done before. So maybe they were worried that like something's different. For 30 years, he made tables and then all of a sudden he's casting out demons. Like to be fair, that's, that's pretty crazy. And then next, you know, he picks like a really unlikely group of disciples. I'm sure his mom was like, why didn't you pick these scribes? Like you need, you need experts in the text to be your right-hand men in ministry. But instead he picks tax collectors and he picks fishermen and he picks people with common jobs who probably didn't even know how to read. He said, these are my partners in ministry. And then the final straw, while they're waiting for Jesus to come home, right? Because they want to be able to have a meal with him. They're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, someone who didn't want to be in the crowd is going back into town. And she asks, hey, where's Jesus? Shouldn't he be here by now? I'm like, oh no, he's, he's out with the crowd. So the last straw, they're like, he's got to be crazy. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, if our family member or if one of our friends on a flip of, of switch, right, their life changed us radically. I think we would feel the same way potentially towards that. So going down then after the scribes had talked in verse 31, uh, we have, we have the, the family arriving and they call out to him, right? And in 35, as Abby read, we hear that the, uh, Jesus goes, who, who, is, who are my mother and brothers like? He looks at his disciples in the crowd and he goes like, you're my family. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Ten Commandments are a pretty big deal, right? Like especially in, in the culture here, like that, that was the law, that was the primary law they followed so that they could be right with God. And, and I may be wrong, but uh, Exodus 20 verse 12 says, you know, you know, honor your father and mother so that your lands, so that your days in God's land will be long and prosperous. So potentially just as confusing as what we started with here, we see Jesus disobeying a commandment like Jesus was perfect right he was he was sinless he was flawless and well, well Jesus you you didn't know you didn't honor your mother she asked you to leave and come have dinner with her and you said no like he does it and once again a scripturally sassy way but he goes no mom I am not going to listen to you but we have to remember the context of both this text and of Exodus 12 see Exodus 12 is 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 expecting a father and mother who are seeking after the Lord, that their ways, that the, what they're telling their children are things that are gonna glorify God. But see, his mother here is trying to stop the ministry of the Spirit. So Jesus says, I'm not having any of that. I had a conversation with a former student of mine uh, from whenever I was in Belton. And uh, I, he's now a really, really good friend. And I was just, we were reading through the text together uh, so that I could get more input as to what to talk about this morning. And, and when he read this, he goes, man, this is, this is so uplifting to me. Because he has a, fa- a father who pours into him and cares about him and has shown him the ways of Christ. But his mother isn't that way. His relationship with his mother has always been really rocky and it hasn't been built on a solid foundation. So when he read, the, he read this, he goes, this is heartwarming because even though I don't have a strong family at home, I know I have a strong family with you. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're that way, maybe your relationship with your parents or your relationship with a spouse or your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your roommates isn't strong. Like I, I hope you can hear the promise that Jesus tells here. And that is that like, in this room or, or in your car knowing that we're here, right? You have a family. A family bond that Jesus says is even greater than just a bond because of blood. 
So like from my friend and for maybe some of you in this room, that's what you get from this text. But also I want you to see for Jesus, I don't think this would have been easy. Like him and his mom didn't quarrel their whole life. They had a great relationship. So I don't, I don't think it would have been easy to say like, ah, no, like I'm fine. An awkward story uh, about our wedding is uh, they told everyone that they were doing a fake send off at the end, right? So they can get the pictures. Uh, they told everyone, including my mom that, and uh, the car drove away. And then immediately following our honeymoon, we moved 10 hours away from them to the panhandle of Texas. So my mom thought she was gonna get to see me and then didn't see me for like another six months. And I don't think, for, for me I know it wasn't, and I definitely know for my mom it wasn't this situation of like, oh it's okay that I won't get to say bye to him, like I'll see him later. And I think that was Jesus with his mom here. I don't think it was like, oh it's, I'm so grateful to have these people because my relationship at home isn't strong. I think it would have been difficult. As I said earlier, the first lesson matters and Jesus starts off, he, he's already started his ministry but in teaching his, his small group, his 12, he starts off his ministry with surrender. Beginning in verse 20, he gives up personal time for the purpose of growing the kingdom and then he gives up a meal for the purpose of growing the kingdom and then here at the end, he looks at his disciples and like without saying, now just so you know, you might have to surrender this he surrenders time with his own family for the purpose of growing the kingdom. I want us to look into Luke at two texts, if we will. They give us a more uh, in-detail description of what surrender to Christ looks like. So if you want to flip there in the book of Luke, um, chapter 9, first, verses 57 through 62. I'm going to read together this morning to look at God's call for surrender in our lives. See here, there are three people that are wanting to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, this is not a brag. I've got like, I don't know, 700 followers on Instagram. Yeah, oh yeah, take that. Uh, my average post gets like 30 to 50 likes, like if I'm lucky. And that's because there are people that I let follow me who have no care or desire to know anything about my life, like in reality. But Jesus shows that like he's not interested in that model of, of friendship, of following one another. So here in Luke chapter nine, verses 57 through 62, it says that as they, the disciples, were going on the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he looked and said, follow me, but he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, there, there are three individuals, right, who want to follow Jesus. And to the first, in a really sassy way, Jesus, whenever he says, I want to follow you, he goes, okay, just so you know, you may be homeless because you follow me. Like, homes aren't bad things. But Jesus says you have to be willing to give that up. Next, 
the man says, okay, like I, I'll, I'll be right back, but my father's funeral is tonight. I need to go be with my family. I need, I need to celebrate his life and mourn his death. And Jesus tells him something that is very difficult. <laughs> he, he says, leave, leave the dead to bury their own. It's like your, your father's secure because, because of uh, his heritage, but more importantly, because of, of seeking of seeking God and seeking forgiveness in him, right? Like your father's already secure. Let the dead take care of the dead. There are people alive who need to hear the gospel. Like, is it more important to you for someone who can't hear the gospel or for someone right now who it is critical that they hear this? See, Jesus says you have to be willing to give up that. And then the last says like, let me go say bye to my, my wife and kids. Um, Sarah, if, if, if I were to honestly... If I were to like go to staff meeting, right, on, on Monday and then not come back home and it's like 8 p.m. and you're wondering where I am and then Mike sends you a text, he's like, oh, just so you know, Corey does. If that's a Corey thing, that's... Oh, I'll be at Gordo's. Yeah, I'll pro, that's true. Check Gordo's first, call them. Uh, but secondary, like, like Mike sends you a text and he's like, oh, hey, just so you know, Stephen will be back in a few months. He was, he was called to another city. He was called to another state. You'll see him in a few months. Would you be okay with that? No, she wouldn't. And I, and I imagine this guy's family probably wouldn't be either, but Jesus says like, your family, your home should be prepared for that. Instead of, instead of your family being like, well, what the crud? I had dinner already made. This is gonna go to waste. Instead, your family should be expectant. Like, that's awesome. I knew God was gonna call them somewhere soon. I'm so excited to hear what God did through them wherever they are. See, None of these things are bad. In fact, they're like the American dream. You know, we've got, we've got friends, family, and food, right? And Jesus, Jesus gives up those things. But even more importantly, like we've got like, we've got some really intense, intimate moments that Jesus is saying you must be willing to say goodbye to. Further on in Luke chapter 14, we get a much more specific, direct call from Christ and the surrender that he desires from us. So in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, and then verse 33, it says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he returned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear up his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now see, what Jesus isn't doing here is he isn't calling us to literally hate our families, right? Like whenever you're 12, you can't read this text and when you're playing video games and your mom's like, honey, dinner's ready. Keep it, mom, you're so stupid, I hate you. I'm gonna keep playing my video games, I don't care. You're dumb, I hate you. But instead what he's calling is a radical Surrender. See, I imagine there were rumors with these three individuals. If, if they followed Christ and they didn't do, and right, if the man didn't go back to his father's funeral, I imagine there were some people at that funeral who were going, you know what? I bet you Jeff poisoned him, right? Like I've, I've heard their relationship has been rocky. I bet, you, I bet you on his will, his dad commanded that he couldn't even come to the funeral. That's probably why he's not here. And again, if, if, if the man went out and ministered and didn't go to Hoden's family, the rumors are gonna be there. I heard there was an affair, right? 
Like, I bet you the wife kicked him out of the home. She probably said, you're never allowed to see the kids again. Don't come back. This is just a cover-up, right? She's telling town, oh, God called him to minister to Galilee, right? When in reality, what it is, is there's probably something. There's probably something. I bet you he hates his wife and he hates his kids. See, our surrender to God should have such a strong willingness to what he calls us to, that to the outside world, right? Whenever we don't come home to see our wife and kids because, because God is calling us to minister, the rest of the world is probably gonna look and be like, I bet you he hates them. I bet you something's wrong within that relationship because that's the only thing that their minds can take in. But when we look at the end uh, in verse 62 of Luke, uh, he says, for anyone who has to look back to what they've plowed, uh, that the kingdom of heaven isn't theirs. It's not that you should not care about the land that you have tilled, but instead you should know that you did such a good job that everything's gonna be okay back there. You don't need to go to the funeral. That you, don't, you don't have to go home that night because God is using you in a specific way to the world. It should be, your surrender should be so overwhelmingly strong that it has to look like hate to them. See, Jesus shows his disciples right away that his ministry is one of surrender, which he himself did. But with this challenge comes a promise, right? So the donut of our text is Jesus showing them surrender. He himself is giving up things for the ministry, but here in the middle, when we get to the burger, fried egg, guacamole, bacon, good grief, that was amazing, it's, uh, I love it. When we get to the, to the meat of our text, we're gonna see something about Jesus's power. And of course, he teaches a lot on not having a hardness uh, of your heart towards the work of the Spirit. But aside from that, he, he says this. Teaches us two things. The first is that Satan is smart and cunning in how he works. Satan is smart and cunning. See, the Pharisees, they take, they take Satan for an, a fool. They're like, right, he, but he must be casting out demons by the power of himself, of Satan. It has to be Satan working against Satan. And Jesus says to them in this, he goes, don't you know that Satan's smarter than that? Like he's, he's not gonna divide his kingdom. If anything, Satan is gonna cast more demons into people. He's not gonna take away from his own kingdom. Satan is smart in how he works and he's smart in our lives too. Whenever we're struggling with something, he's not stupid. He's not gonna miss up on an opportunity to make us stumble. Those are always going to be there. See, the scribes took Satan for a fool. Jesus says, no, Satan is smart. But the second thing is this. Jesus is smarter. That's a word, right? Yeah. Jesus is smarter in how he works. See, Jesus knows Satan's strength. We have, we have I, I've loved it this week. It's been super challenging. There at the end of Mark, uh, of that section, um, he says this, um, but no one can enter a strong man's house, verse 27, and plunder his goods, unless first he binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus knows that without the strong man being bound, his disciples cannot cast demons out. He knows that his disciples do not have the strength on their own to rise people from the dead, to let blind people see, to forgive people of sins because Satan is smart and cunning and Satan is powerful, but Jesus is smarter and he is more powerful in his ways because in verse 27, he tells us that he has bound the strong man. He has bound 
Satan. That's good. Like that's, that's, that's so heartwarming. And, and what Jesus, like the, the, the culmination of, of these two things, right? So we've had the donut, we have the meat, and now we're gonna eat the whole sandwich. And what God is telling us is that he has given us a trustworthy and purposeful surrender. See, last week, Corey told us how the true mark of a disciple one, right, is one who has surrendered everything that they have for the purpose of expanding the kingdom for, for Jesus. And then immediately following, he teaches his disciples a lesson through actions. And that is that although he is calling us to surrender, this is a trustworthy and purposeful surrender. See, no good leader calls his people to do something without a purpose, right? Like, let's pretend there are two armies. On the right, we have an army who has all of their swords, guns, tanks, and flamethrowers. And on the left, we have an army who whenever they got to the battlefield, they go, hey, who brought the guns? Well, you, you were supposed to, you, you had the tank with you. Why did you not, I thought you were bringing the tank. Why don't we have the tank? On the left, we have an army who's not prepared for battle, right? The leader on the right then, right, the commander of the army would not just start waving the white flag of surrender and his people follow him, right? If, 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 the, if the right side was waving a flag of surrender, if I were that soldier with my like one flamethrower alone, I'd be like, dude, I've, we've got this whole thing. Someone comes for a fist of cups, like I'm lighting them on fire. I've got this. Why are you calling me to surrender? See, Jesus is a leader who doesn't call us to surrender because of some like lack of knowledge of what the enemy has but rather because of the work that he's already done to the enemy. See, Satan is bound. And our surrender does not take away from our life, but listen to this, it gives us the life of plunder. See, in God's perfect design, right, humanity had the fullness of joy. Humanity had the fullness of peace. Humanity had salvation. They had eternity with God. And then because of our sin, Satan now had those things in his grasp. And Jesus says, no, I have bound Satan. Those goods are sitting in his home. Those goods are sitting in his home. And, and if you will just surrender your life to his ways, it's not that like then your life gets taken away, right? It's not that you experience less joy or less peace, but instead in that you get to take part in the plunder with Christ. You get to walk into the room, right? While Jesus has Satan bound to a chair in the corner and as he's screaming, trying to get out, you get to take back your joy because of the work of Jesus. You get to take back your happiness because of the work of Jesus. And ultimately, you get to receive your salvation because of the work of Jesus. See, Jesus calls for a radical surrender to his people, but tied to that radical surrender is a promise. It is a trustworthy and purposeful surrender. He has called us to step in and the plunder of the goods which are God's. And furthermore, he calls us into that once, once we've received our joy and once we've received our, our ever-growing fullness of life and once we've received our salvation, he goes, there are other people's joy in there. There's other people's peace and there's other people's salvation. Go share the gospel so they can go take what is rightfully theirs, what's rightfully God's through Jesus's binding of the strong man. You might have been thinking throughout the sermon, like, oh my goodness. Like, that's cool, I wanna be a part, but what was the purpose in even getting married, 
Or like, what was the purpose in making friends? Why did, I, why did I buy a house? Why did I take this job? Jesus is making me give everything up. But I wanna prepare you for the weeks to come. See, uh, one is in Mark 6, but consistently throughout, and even what we've talked about so far in the book of Mark, is that there are times where for the purpose of God's kingdom, you keep your job and you live in your same town. There, there are times for the purpose of God's kingdom, you are alone. God himself in creation spent a full day resting because it was good, it was necessary. So, so in, this, in this sermon, right, don't think I have to give everything up because what Jesus is not calling us to is to give everything up, but it's to be willing to surrender it to him. For some of you in this room, Maybe for some of you watching online, you were living in North Carolina and Jesus said, I need you to surrender your home. I need you, I need you to go help this church plant in Austin, Texas. And, 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 and y'all did that and you listened to the call and you're willing to lose your home. You're willing to lose your job. You're willing to lose your security because of the call of Christ. It's not that he forced every person who attends Summit Church to move to Austin, Texas, and you have to do it, but he said there are some that need to be willing, and you need to be willing to answer that call when I call you to it. See, if something in your life stays, it's to be used for the glory of God. But if something leaves or something changes, it's to be because of God's glory as well. I, I wanna tell you a story um, of conviction that I experienced while going through this text big time. Um, and that's that I'm certain I love my daughter more than I love my God. Like, why, why are you preaching? You shouldn't be allowed to preach. Uh, and you might, you might be right. Um, but like, I regularly, without, without thought, will, will wake up. It's hard but I'll wake up at, at four o'clock in the morning with an hour of sleep. I'll lose sleep for her. I never once have, although it may be reluctant, and Sarah's probably over there like it takes you so long to wake up, but although it may, there may be reluctancy, I never once have gone, keep crying, I don't care. Like you have needs that need to be met, but I'm, I'm gonna keep sleeping. And when it's dinner time, and actually literally while we're at Gordo's and there are appetizers on the table and my daughter needs her diaper changed, I didn't go, you, you, can, you can sit in your filth for a little bit. I've got a meal here. No, I, I, without, without hesitation, Sarah and I gave that up. I was, I was talking to a different friend, uh, one from college, once again, about just talking through this text and I was sharing with him this conviction. And he said something to me that... Uh, I know he was trying to comfort me, but in reality, it broke my heart. He said, Stephen, you know, that's okay. It's okay to love your daughter more than God. I think he understands, right? Like your daughter is tangible. You get to hold her, you get to kiss her, you get to snuggle with her, but you don't get to, like God isn't tangible. He doesn't expect you to surrender to him like you surrender to your daughter. And, and I get his intentions and I'm grateful for him trying to comfort me, but in reality that, that broke my heart even worse. It made me feel worse about myself because although, although God understands, right? And he's not calling me to hate my daughter. He's calling me to wake up at 2 a.m. and feed her. He's, his, his undeniable call that we see here in Mark is that I should be so much more willing to surrender to him than I would for my daughter. And I'm not. Like I said, my battery runs out quick. I'm a five-year-old iPhone. When church is over, like Sarah and I were like, okay, we just can't wait. Get home and rest and breathe for a minute. And I, I don't, 
I know Jesus calls us to do that. And there are a lot of times where that's what's healthy for our family because God has called us to lead our family a certain way as well. But I know for certain there have been times since I've been here that God has called me to do something else. And I said, I'm not willing to give that up. As, as we worship, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song of surrender. And, and I encourage you, if I can be honest with all of you, I hope you can be honest with yourself. As we're seeing I surrender all, like go before God and like, just say, I, I don't want to love something else more than I love you. Be willing to surrender what it is in your heart. Father, as, as, as we looked in your word this morning, God, I just pray. I pray for myself, God, that, that I can trust that your way really is better. Um, God, and that I can make room for you in my life. Not that, not that I will forcibly sell everything I have, or that I will forcibly never see my family again, but God, that I will just be willing to your call. God, that whenever, whenever you looked into that, into that crowd of people and you locked eyes with me and you said, come and follow me, and I said, yes. God, that you remind me that, that it is because of your goodness that I surrender. It's not to take away, but it's because you have bound Satan and you are saying, plunder, take back what God has always desired for you to have. Not by your actions, not because you're trying to sneak in while Satan's awake watching the door so that whenever you try to grab your joy himself, he crams you farther underground. But instead, I have bound him just walk in effortlessly and take back what I've called you to. God, I, I pray for myself, lead me to surrender. And I pray for our people here this morning. God, it's, it's our heart at Austin Life Church to love you and to lead ourselves and others to the fullness of life found into you, God. God, we just pray. Because of the goodness of you, lead us into surrender. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, God, make us willing to give you everything. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.